I was invited to speak uh, in Dubai. And yeah, that was a bit further in the Netherlands. It didn't make any sense to fly to Dubai to speak about a trip I did to promote sustainable mobility. <laughs> so I thought like the only logical way to get to Dubai was to take the train or and public transport. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfrey. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views this week with Mr. Wiebe Wecker, who is a speaker and sustainable adventurer. I can't wait till you get to hear his interview. I recently met him and when I was in Dubai for the UITP conference, he was one of the keynote speakers and his story is fascinating. You'll hear his interview a little bit later. We're also gonna take a look at some of the news highlights from this last week, including the Comto conference and a big purchase in the software industry. And finally, the future public transportation at the end of today's program features the ways people are getting people back on the bus and back on the train. We'll, we'll take a look at what's happening around the industry. All that on this episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views. And now a look at our news headlines. I recently just returned this past weekend from the Comto Conference, the Conference of Minority Transportation Officials, which was being held in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Close to a thousand people were there. It was a massive conference. Again, I think evidence that people are ready and willing to get back together in large groups. And it was done safely. And, um, a great conference was put together by April Ray, the new CEO of Comto. Very well organized. The agenda, the fun events after. There was a cruise one evening put on by the local chapter. And it was just a wonderful conference with great content. I was able to meet Veronica Vanderpool, the new deputy FTA administrator. It's funny, I just interviewed her for my book, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. Her and David Kim, the just passed Secretary of Transportation for the state of California. And they were both there. And I got to talk to them both quite a bit. Veronica was quite the hit at the conference, speaking multiple times, you know, lots of applause, just lots of energy, a great addition to the Federal Transit Administration. Bravo, Nuria, on bringing her in. I was also excited to be there on behalf of NADA, the North American Transit Alliance, where I serve as executive director. We were able to do a scholarship again this year, a $2,500 scholarship that was awarded at their scholarship banquet, which was phenomenal. A lot of the recipients were able to be there in person and uh, receive their awards there and kind of talk about what they're doing with them. Either they were on video or in person. The NADA scholarship went to a, a young woman who's a PhD transportation geography student. She was not able to be there. She's traveling abroad for her studies, but we're excited to be able to do that. I was also able to meet with uh, the board of directors for Latinos in Transit while I was there and um, talk with Alva Carrasco, who is the president of the board, and also my good friend Harold Humphrey and his wife Suzanne were there as well and got to talk with all of them and attend their breakfast. And we're excited. NADA, the North American Transit Alliance, has also offered them a $2,500 scholarship. It'll be the first one they've done as a group. And, and we're also doing it with WTS. I was able to talk with Sarah Stickler about that. Uh, and so we're excited about the opportunities to extend those scholarships. And it was wonderful and very inspirational to hear the students talk about what they're going to do with their degrees that they're going to get. And the whole conference had a bent toward equity and inclusion, which, of course, is the topic du jour right now in the industry. Very excited about that. A wonderful conference. I do plan to have April, the CEO, April Ray, on the podcast for our July 27th episode. And then we'll have Alva and Harold on for our August 10th News and Views show. So looking forward to having the leaders of both those organizations, Comto and Lit, on future episodes here of Transit Unplugged News and Views. 
Other big news coming out of the industry this last week actually involved my company. And so we want to cover it for you here and let you know about it. Medaxo, a global technology organization focused on moving the world's people along with its company, TripSpark, announced this past week that they have acquired RouteMatch. RouteMatch is a software company based in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was owned by Uber Technologies. It serves more than 350 transit agencies across North America and Australia, helping them to transform rider experiences and manage operational costs. RouteMatch's software provides trip planning, vehicle tracking, payment, and other tools for fixed route transit and paratransit services. With the acquisition, RouteMatch products become part of TripSpark's overall solution offering, bringing together two leading complementary brands to provide transit agencies with best-in-class technology for the demand response, fixed route, and mobility on-demand segments. Rob DeSanti, my friend and general manager of TripSpark, said, we're pleased to welcome the Route Match team and its customers to TripSpark. With this acquisition, we're moving together to best serve customers in the small to mid-sized urban and rural transit agency sector. And it is together that we can develop and deliver newer solutions to help agencies provide responsive, sustainable, and equitable transport to their communities. Rod Jones, my boss and head of Americas for Medaxo, said Medaxo's sole focus is on people transportation, and we look to acquire and grow technology businesses that drive growth for the sector. He continued, when we invest in a business like RouteMatch, we invest in their technology, their people, and customers for the long term. This acquisition reinforces our commitment to public transit and brings us another step closer toward achieving our goal of moving the world's people. Very excited to be part of this and a big move route match acquired by Medaxo. That's it for the headline news for this week on Transit Unplugged News and Views. Now stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview. I'm excited to have with us on our Newsmaker hotline, a gentleman that I got to see in Dubai on a recent trip there for the UITP MENA conference, Mr. Webby Wacker, who is from Netherlands, who traveled there from the Netherlands on public transportation. He's got a great story to tell. Webby, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure, Paul. Yeah. So, I mean, tell us a little about yourself and what you do for fun, because this is a really interesting hobby you've got. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, yeah I, I call myself a sustainable adventurer. And uh, it's a title I gave me after uh, I did that first long trip. And um, yeah, basically my background now is being a speaker and I get to inspire people with uh, the story of my adventures. So I kind of like created a dream job for myself. And it feels like a bit like I cracked the code. My first trip was, I started in 2016 when I decided to challenge myself to drive without money and in an electric vehicle from the Netherlands to the other side of the world, to Australia. And yeah, to make it to Sydney, I asked uh, people to plug me in. That's what I called the project, plug me in project with energy. So I had a website where people could select their location and then offer me a meal, place to sleep or electricity for the car. And then based on these offers, the route was determined. So when I started, I had no idea how, or even if I would reach Australia <laughs> at some point, but I just start, uh, I start driving and see how far I come. And uh, yeah, it took me three and a half years crisscrossing around the world from the Netherlands to Italy, from Italy back to the, to the North Cape, which is all the way in the northern point of, of Europe. So zigzag around the world. At some point, people started to call me the Forrest Gump of automotive. <laughs> like, drive, people drive. I kept driving in a very crazy way. 
And um, yeah, I did it a bit to make a point about sustainable mobility, making a point about electric vehicles, because they basically back definitely the back in that time people people had a lot of prejudices about EVs that thought they're not reliable or you cannot cover long distance with them. So I thought I'm gonna beat all those prejudices prejudices by driving one to the other side of the world. That's amazing, man. Yeah. And and I mean, what? Do you, how did you support yourself during the three year trip? Yeah, so basically, I really did it without money. It was really the goal to be dependent on the generosity of strangers. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just like traveled from plug to plug, from one host to another <laughs> who, who offered me something online. But of course, sometimes I ended up in a city or town where nobody had offered me something before. And so I had to really be creative and making connections and, and approaching people to, to find people to help me. So I just talked to people on the street, knock on someone's door. Even when dumpster diving, when I didn't have a meal for for a few days, and yeah, that led to really a lot of interesting meetings, like with people I didn't expect to meet, and um, also sometimes ended up like plugging my car in at a, at a supermarket or IKEA or something because they had like free charging stations for for right. electric cars, and uh, that's how I kept going. And actually, in Asia, when I arrived in Asia, it was way more easier. Because the level of hospitality is so much bigger over there. And definitely with my blue station wagon, which you don't have in Asia, I got a lot of attention. So then when I entered a village, then people already approached me like they want to see like, what's this car that doesn't make any sound? That's quite weird for them, of course, because they've never seen an EV before. And um, yeah, sometimes I had to make money because it happened a few times that I need to ship the car across the ocean or a sea. Oh, yeah. So actually in the first trip, I was also in Dubai. So I had a job there for, for three months or in Malaysia. I just took everything I could get my hands on working as a cleaner, as a extra for TV commercials. <laughs> um, yeah, I basically lived the day by day and see how it wow. went. Wow. Um, what gave you this idea, Webby, to actually do this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very unique. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, it started as my graduation project. I did a uh, uh, study at the University of Arts. And I always, for a long time, had a dream to travel around the world, but I wanted to do something creative and uh, something different. And I really wanted to do it without money, to be dependent on the generosity of strangers and yeah, to challenge myself to overcome some like personal barriers of which I knew it was going to help me at a later stage in my life. So yeah, I had to, I knew because I was going to travel without money that I needed to come up with a good plan or at least a good concept to create value for people to go help me out. And then back in the day, back then the sustainability team was yeah, something that everyone was was talking about. But honestly, I was not super interested in sustainability, but kind of used this this story as a higher purpose linked to my desire to go on an adventure. So I thought I'm going to make a point about sustainability and in other countries I'm going to visit sustainable initiatives to document what's the environmental challenges in other areas that I visited and see what innovative solutions there are available. And yeah, that was the value that I created and people started to help me because of that. And also just, yeah, because they, they liked what I, what I was, was doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just created a whole project that was like an extension of myself, included all things I learned at school, like marketing, account management and being creative. And right. yeah, sometimes it turned out in the, the Plug Me In project. You, you generated quite a lot of attention as you went along. I mean, I saw the videos at the conference. And I mean, when you got to Australia, I mean, you were like on TV. It was a big thing, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Definitely when I finished in, in Sydney, yeah, it brought a lot of attention. Like we drove 
in a parade of electric cars uh, over the Harbor Bridge. They guided me to the finish line. And at that point, there was a TV helicopter above us, like broadcasting live on national television. And that day, it was a bit of like global sensation with coverage on uh, CNN, BBC, The Guardian, Blue Work. Uh, I was basically everywhere at the time. You know? so yeah. Pretty crazy. That <laughs> Definitely because it started as like a bit of a wild idea at my university and then turned out in, yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. how did you... Did you use Twitter or tell people how did you communicate to people what you were doing, you know, each day along your journey? Uh, yeah, I used social media to to broadcast my, to, to cover my stories. I used all my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube to, yeah. uh, to share my story. Yeah. I got to see some of them. They're pretty phenomenal. If people, we'll, we'll put links to them on the website as people come and, and check out the show if they want to see. So you finished that trip up when, Webby? When, when did you get to Sydney? I arrived in Sydney in April 2019. Okay. Actually, after I finished my 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 trip was extended to New Zealand. I spent a few months there and I returned home September 2019. Okay. And then of course COVID hit the world shortly after that. Yeah. So uh, what what did you do since then and tell us about your most recent trip that's been pretty wild that I've been following. Yeah, since then yeah, I've been just I've been when I, as soon as as soon as I got back I was invited by companies and events to to speak about my my, my journey and um yeah just at, at the end it was a three and a half year trip so i had a lot of challenges setbacks so i use my adventure and my lessons kind of as a metaphor to talk about perseverance collaboration and um yeah so i'm speaking around europe and since i got home like i didn't watch that fake sustainability guide anymore you know because because i visited all those projects i really got interested in sustainability and more more caring so since then i try to live a more sustainable life so every time i'm being invited to an event i try to travel there in a sustainable way so last year i went to london uh, that's only a four-hour train ride then the end of the year i was invited to speak in oslo in norway so i took uh, an electric car and drove to oslo in three days and I was invited to speak uh, in Dubai. And yeah, that was a bit further away from, uh, yeah. from the Netherlands. But to me, it didn't make any sense to fly to Dubai to speak about a trip I did to promote sustainable mobility. <laughs> yeah, my car had become a museum piece. So I thought like the only logical way to get to, to Dubai was to take the train or and public transport. And um, yeah, at that point, I didn't even know if it, if it was possible at all. I thought it's a long distance and you need to cross the sea also. So I started to research if it was possible at all. And I found out it was quite challenging to, to research to research that. Like if you take a plane and you go to a website, you select your end destination and with one ticket, you, you can get there. But not quite, doesn't quite work like that with public transport. Yeah. Like a variety of websites. Seat 61 was my personal favorite one. And a lot of like the websites from local operators. And with that, I found out it's actually... Under normal non-COVID conditions, quite easy to get all the way from Europe to Turkey and Iran to the Persian Gulf. And then it's only like uh, one ferry to uh, to Dubai. Uh, now with COVID, a few trains were not going, so I had to take like a few buses. And um, yeah, then I had my plan ready and I basically just started, started going in early January. And so I saw you in Dubai when you spoke to the 1,200 delegates there at the UITP MENA conference about this whole thing. And then yeah. you had quite a journey back. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that yeah. journey back, going through Iran and all that. Journey back. So we'll tell short about the, the journey to Dubai because in the journey to Dubai, I was planning to go to Turkey and then to Iran. But when I got to the Iranian border, it appeared that the border was closed. 
And there was a little bit of setback because it was important for me to go to Iran because that was the only way to do it completely without flying. And now I needed to make a detour via uh, the Ira Kurdistan region of Iraq. From there, I could not continue flying. So I had to fly from uh, Kurdistan to uh, Jordan to skip uh, southern Iraq and Syria, continued by bus to Saudi Arabia, and then took a train to Riyadh and was only a bus ride to the to the Emirates. Uh, so on the way back, I spent about six six weeks in Dubai. And at, by the end of that time, Iran opened up their, their border. And uh, for my first journey, I visited 34 countries and Iran became my favorite country. So I really wanted to go back. And that's uh -huh. why I was also sad that I could not enter on the on the, on the home, uh, my first journey. But it was good because now I had some more time to spend uh, in Iran because I didn't have a deadline. Uh, so spend a few, about 10 days in Iran or something. And it's just, yeah, it's an amazing country. It's like the hospitality and the people there are so friendly and hospitable and nice and everything. And yeah, they really made my stay there special again. And also the, the trains are quite interesting with the, like everywhere Persian carpets and they offer all your kind of amenities and it's, it was, it was so good. And then, yeah, after Turkey, I went back to, Tur after Iran, went back to Turkey and I basically did uh, yeah, kind of the same route in, in reverse. Yeah. What did you think about the food along the way? Were you, you able to eat and sample a lot of the local delicacies? Uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I love, I love food, uh, definitely Asian food. So everywhere made stops and tried to get some local food and, Iranian food is quite is quite good. A lot of kebabs and oh, yeah. saffron and all special ingredients that they use. So I love that. And I think that was one of the nicest things also about, about traveling with public transport. Like it's not that you because if you fly from Amsterdam to Dubai, uh, it takes a few hours and you you are in a complete different environment. But now if you travel by train, you see like the scenery gradually changing. Uh, not only the scenery but also the culture and people. So every stop. You're, you can explore something new and try something something different. And that's that's just great about it. Yeah, it's very inspiring. What do you yeah. have next coming up? I don't have a big adventure planned right now. Okay. Uh, so I'm still writing a book about uh, that electric car trip. Okay. Uh, I want to have that finished uh, this this summer. So that's my big project that I'm working on. And as soon as I have that released, then I allow myself to, to make some new adventures. Why, but you're an inspiration to us and living in a sustainable way, learning to travel all the different modes of public transport to even cross international borders. Phenomenal, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Man. It's a pleasure doing it. Also, It's a lot of fun. Well, we'll we'll let people know how to stay in contact with you because I think as a result of this show, you'll get more people who want to follow your adventures and right. also to see the great ones you've already done. Thank you so much and best wishes as you continue to share the message of sustainable living. Ah, my pleasure, Paul. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Marketing is about communicating with your public to promote your services and build support, whether it be for greater ridership, public awareness, or to build support with key stakeholders for initiatives. But when you're marketing, remember the importance of communicating about what you're doing internally. When you tell people in your organization what you're up to, you reduce duplicated efforts, you coordinate for greater impact, you access more consistent budget support, and you can elevate your own expertise. This healthy internal process starts with a written marketing plan, even just a one-page document that declares basics like goals, budget, and timeline. Then you need to circulate this document. Does HR need to have a look? 
very likely, because the people they're hiring will probably see the ads you're placing. It's also a good idea to share your plan with ops so they can inform operators who might otherwise only learn of the plan when the writing public sees it in the marketplace. Finally, your executives will of course need to know your plan so they can give you the nod on budget. But I also encourage anyone in marketing to keep your work visible at the executive level so your senior department officials can keep the importance of communications top of mind. If you'd like to talk more about communicating internally about your communications, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Hi, this is Mike Bismire, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Well, inspired I was, as this past week I traveled to four agencies in Canada over four days, all that couldn't wait to tell me about random acts of kindness or outreach they were doing in their communities, knowing that I quite often speak about it here on the Transit Unplugged podcast. One agency was working with youth through the Rotary Club, helping mentor them and getting them ready for future endeavors within the community. Another agency, working with the food bank and a woman's shelter. And a third agency had one of their own operators that volunteered to be an interpreter for local community and refugees they were bringing in from the Ukraine. Again, all amazing examples of people going above and beyond in the transit industry. And what's really interesting is this checks all boxes, leadership, mentorship, and kindness. And it shows the value and importance of having a cause and letting your employees be empowered by helping someone else in the community. Thanks to all the amazing people out there. Thanks for what you do. Kindness is cool. Have a great day. And now a look at the future of public transportation. As we know, public transit agencies are struggling to come to grips with the possibility that daily commuters may never come back at the levels they were pre-pandemic. Bloomberg News recently put out a story about this, and we're going to talk about it some today and what some potential solutions are that some transit agencies around the world are looking at. Authorities across the country and across the world are sometimes even leaning on promotions and price cuts in an attempt to recover lost ridership with the rise of remote work during the pandemic. But long-term budgets may need to be adjusted to account for fewer ticket sales, lower ridership. It's a tough reality for systems already struggling to fund improvements and general upkeep. Jim... Aloisi, a professor in transportation policy and planning at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, said a lot of agencies are going to hit the fiscal cliff either next year or the year after. It's not going to be pretty. The problem is structural and it has to do with how agencies have relied too heavily on fair revenue. Some transit systems are holding out hope ridership will eventually return, but others are adjusting to a new reality. Unless the government steps in or new sources of revenue are found, many agencies may be left with two choices. They can either cut back services or raise fares, neither of which will help to bring riders back. Here in the U.S., many transit systems received unprecedented amounts of funding from the federal government to help them during the pandemic adapt to the realities. And so there were several acts called the CARES Act and the CRISA Act and the ARPA Act, which helped fund operating dollars for these transit systems. But many of the larger ones, and even now some of the mid-sized ones, are saying that they're running out of those funds by the end of this year or the end of this fiscal year, which is to come. And so the head of California's Bay Area Rapid Transit, Bob Powers, says his department can continue to put funding obligations on riders. Likewise, New York's Jano Lieber, CEO of the MTA, said he's planning for a future with fewer riders, and he's calling for the system to, to be funded more like an essential service with less reliance 
on fare revenues. The MTA, which runs New York subways, buses, and commuter rails, has been feeling the effects of remote and hybrid work schedules for the past two years, with many commuters at home at least for part of the week. Weekday subway ridership is at about 60% of pre-pandemic ridership levels, with rider retention rates about 50% or lower for Manhattan business hubs, including Midtown and the Financial District, according to data released at a recent board meeting. Fare box collections are hundreds of millions of dollars below budget, and the agency, which is the largest mass transit provider in the U.S., is facing a potential $2 billion deficit in 2026, in addition to the risk of using up its federal coronavirus aid before it's set to run out in 2025. The outlook appears grim, but not all transit authorities are prepared to accept current ridership levels as permanent, especially with rising gas prices and increasing focus on sustainable transportation modes. My friend, Kali Greenwood, CEO, interim CEO of the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority, MARTA, said during an interview, in this region, we continue to see growth, population growth. Perhaps if we were in a region where the population was not growing or even in decline, then I could see those ridership numbers may not be seen again. The path may be slow, but Greenwood said he's convinced MARTA will once again see the 2019 ridership numbers. So far, the agency has recovered about 50% of ridership and has begun an on-demand transit pilot program designed to connect riders to and from MARTA bus and rail using on-demand shuttles. That's a plan that a lot of transit agencies across the country are looking at. They're putting in pilot programs with microtransit projects, on-demand service, basically personalized service, which is something that people got more used to during the pandemic. NJT, New Jersey Transit, is similarly optimistic about the return of riders despite a slow recovery so far. Fares only accounted for 14% of the agency's 2021 fiscal operating budget, while they usually make up around 45%. Meanwhile, weekday rail ridership has been steady at about 55% of pre-pandemic levels as the agency has introduced promotions, including bring a friend discount and $20 beach excursion fares to the Jersey Shore from New York City. A report published Wednesday by the Regional Plan Association predicts that Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays will be busy travel days going forward. And so people are basically adjusting to make to uh, take into consideration the hybrid workers on certain days. Nationwide, a key part of boosting ridership will be to increase service and eliminate delays. But with many departments facing budget cuts, staff shortages, and infrastructure challenges, that's easier said than done. Promotional deals, on the other hand, are simple to execute, but so far, most of these promotions haven't led to substantially different ridership numbers. New York MTA is offering a more flexible 20-ticket pack option on the commuter rail and subway riders to get free rides after their 12th trip of using tap-and-go payments. BART will be offering in the fall 50% off all fares to celebrate 50 years of being in service in September. The Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority's one-day and 30-day passes have been discounted by 50%. The Chicago Transit Authority has lowered its 30-day full fare passes by about 29%. And WMATA in Washington, D.C. is offering cheaper late-night metro rail tickets in addition to reduced fares for unlimited weekly and monthly passes. The WMATA Transit Authority Board Chair Paul Smedberg said, There's no doubt that there are challenges ahead beyond our next fiscal year, but with discounts, better service, new stations, and additional projects, a better customer experience could bring riders back in force. And he says Metro is well poised to support the region and grow ridership. And that is what people are seeing across the, uh, basically across the world and across the country is a customer focus is what's required to get people back on the bus. 
as, a, as I mentioned, there's a lot of movement in the industry to see that ridership uh, is now not the number one focus. Ridership now has slipped actually to number two in APTA's recent transit agency performance indicator survey. Now, customer satisfaction is the number one key performance indicator that transit agencies are focused on. And number three is access to mobility options. They've done a number of customer uh, experience improvements, such as adding in contactless payment solutions, on-demand applications, common payment platforms, mobility as a service applications. These are some of the uh, improvements that transit agencies have made. And now they're focused on reliable and consistent service environmental considerations, making sure that transit agencies and the services they provide are convenient and fit into the lifestyle of riders and that riders can be made aware of all options and that they trust the network end-to-end. They have access to polite assistance, that there are multimodal journey opportunities available, and that the service is safe, accessible, seamless, easy, and quick. Transit agencies' response to some of these customer needs have become really becoming more deliberate and commercially minded about attracting customers back and recognizing what customers really value and offering a clear value proposition to their customers, what businesses often do. They want to get the basics right, real-time information, arrivals, crowding, hygiene, safety, and they want the end-to-end journey to work for their passengers. They want to be partners together in delivering seamless mobility, and that could mean door-to-door service in some places or at least curb-to-curb. They're also looking at development uh, goals that have to be sustainable and transport have to support these. And transit agencies are engaging in dynamic feedback with customers, with digital tools and app interactions and tying the value propositions that we talked about to the passengers' daily lives. The nine to five travel market is shrinking because of hybrid work and other reasons. So transit agencies now are taking commuter services and uh, rail and bus and pivoting to new markets, new trip purposes and travel times. And really, they're focusing on customer service. Some ideas that I would propose for transit agencies to consider uh, that came out of a UITP study out of Australia that I agree with say, number one, that uh, you should recognize and reward customer-facing service workers for providing real service, connecting with customers as real people to support their journeys. Number two, providing customer service training to drivers and the tools for all customer service staff to provide real-time feedback to supplement data-driven responses. And number three, rating systems through transport planning apps with direct sharing of data with operators and agencies to better understand customer needs. Just some of the things that you can do as a transit agency to meet the needs of today's customers, reaching out to them and inviting them to once again, get back on the bus. And that's our look at the future of public transportation on today's Transit Unplugged News and Views. Stick with us every week for a new episode of Transit Unplugged. Visit our website at transitunplugged.com and subscribe so you get an episode email reminder sent to you once a week on Wednesdays when our new episodes air. Thanks again. I'm Paul Comfort. Have a great, safe week out there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our guest Vibe Vakar from Plug Me In talking about his amazing journey. Now, next week on Transit Unplugged in depth, we have Matt Tucker, Executive Director and CEO of North County Transit District, which is north of San Diego, California. Paul mentioned visiting transitunplugged.com to sign up for our newsletter, but we have a favor to ask. Head over to podcastawards.com and drop a nomination for Transit Unplugged in the best government and organization category. We'd really appreciate the help 
The more nominations we get, not only gets us to the voting round, but it influences who actually wins the award. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.